a reading from the letter of St. Paul to the Ephesians. Brothers and sisters, you are no longer strangers and sojourners, but you are fellow citizens with the Holy Ones and members of the household of God, built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the capstone. Through him, the whole structure is held together and grows into a temple sacred in the Lord. And in him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place of God in the spirit. The word of the Lord. Glorious company of apostles praise you. 
Dominus Vobiscum. Lexio Sancti Evangelii Secundum Lucam. Jesus went up the mountain to pray, <clears throat> and he spent the night in prayer to God. When day came, he called his disciples to himself, and from them he chose twelve, whom he also named apostles. Simon, whom he named Peter, and his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James the son of Alphaeus, Simon who was called a zealot, and Judas the son of James, and Judas Iscariot who became a traitor. On this feast day of the apostles of Saints Simon and Jude, we not only honor the lives of these two collaborators with Jesus in building the church, but we also reflect on how and why our Lord selected these specific men to be apostles. Sometimes while I read through the four gospel accounts and come across today's passage where our Lord selects his 12 apostles, I sometimes wonder why he chose these men. You know, out of all of the people who have ever lived, why does Jesus select these men for this special task? Now, obviously, it's impossible for a finite person like myself to fathom the infinite mind of God. Yet there are many ways that we can look at this question. We can look at what is written about these men and try to discern their gifts and talents. We can see what other people have said about them in the scriptures, or we can look at any available extra-biblical writings concerning the apostles, especially the writings of the early church fathers. And all these resources can perhaps help us gain a better understanding of Jesus' selection of these men to be apostles. Yet, even after all of this, we will still never fully understand the mind of Christ, except for what he has revealed to us. In one of his general audiences in the year 2006, Pope Benedict XVI offers an interesting insight into Jesus' selection of Simon and Jude as apostles. And since the Holy Father has a lot to say about these apostles, I'm only going to focus on St. Simon. And regarding Simon, the Holy, Holy Father highlights the stark contrast between Simon the Zealot and Matthew the publican, the tax collector. He does not think it is likely that Simon belonged to the nationalist movement known as the Zealots, but that Simon is, quote, at least characterized by an ardent zeal for Jewish identity, hence for God, for his people, and for the divine law. And regarding Matthew, on the other hand, Pope Benedict XVI says that if it is true that Simon was passionate about his Jewish identity, then, <clears throat> or, then Simon was worlds apart from Matthew, who on the contrary had an activity behind him as a tax collector 
that was frowned upon as entirely impure. And the Holy Father goes on to say, this shows that Jesus calls his disciples and collaborators without exception from the most varied social and religious backgrounds. And the Holy Father thus concludes, it was people who interested Jesus, not social classes or labels. And the best thing is that in the group of his followers, despite their differences, they all live side by side, overcoming, overcoming imaginable difficulties. Indeed, what bound them together was Jesus himself, in whom they all found themselves united with one another. This is clearly a lesson for us who are often inclined to accentuate differences and even contrasts, forgetting that in Jesus Christ, we are given the strength to get the better of our continual conflicts. Let us also bear in mind that the group of the 12 is the prefiguration of the church, where there must be room for all charisms, peoples, and races, all human qualities that find their com composition and unity in communion with Jesus. And these words of Pope Benedict XVI given in 2006 are still very appropriate today. Too often we Christians tend to imitate secular society and mentally divide people into different social and political categories. If other people fit into any of the categories that we despise, then we tend to alienate them, demean them, or even ignore them. We don't like leftism, and so we write off those whom we consider leftists. We don't like conservatism, and so we ignore conservatives. We don't think highly of the poor, and so we overlook them. We despise the wealthy, and so we immediately consider them to be evil. We do not take the opportunity to come together in Christ with people whose views, social status, or political affiliations differ from ours. We often do not see other people as human beings first and try to listen to them heart to heart rather than judge them by their external appearances or their views or perspectives. The fact that Christ has selected such a wide spectrum of men to be his apostles shows that unity is possible in and through him. He brings these men together and allows them to freely discuss and even argue things among themselves so that they might more readily recognize the common humanity of their brothers united in Christ. Our Lord essentially takes a synodal approach with his apostles. As they all journey together in a common mission, they are challenged to listen to one another and to Jesus and thus become more closely attuned to the voice of the Holy Spirit in their midst. In our first reading today, from the letter to the Ephesians, St. Paul describes the church in terms of a building, a holy temple that is sacred in the Lord. And the building blocks of this holy temple are not physical bricks, but peoples from, from very different political and geographical backgrounds. The letter is addressed to Gentile Christians who before coming, the, before the coming of Christ, were often either at war or were at least inimical towards the people of Israel, the Jews. 
And yet it is in Christ that these different peoples, both Jews and Gentiles, are brought together into one holy edifice, with Christ Jesus himself as the capstone and the Holy Spirit as the unifying force that binds the stones of the temple together. The Gentiles are no longer strangers and sojourners, but are fellow citizens with the Holy Ones, with the people of Israel, united together in Christ through the apostles and prophets who have laid the foundation of the temple with their teaching. And even though Christ has called together such a disparate group of men to be apostles, this does not change the fact that disagreements and tensions will inevitably arise between them. Those who are familiar with the gospel accounts will recall that arguments happened among the apostles, even while Jesus was among them. We might think of the apostles as great saints, which they are, but we seem to forget that they were also human beings, like us, who had to learn to live with and to get along with brothers and sisters from various backgrounds. What ultimately unites them together with one another is their common, lo common love for God and for Jesus Christ, his son. The Catechism of the Catholic Church speaks beautifully about the unity of the church, which is manifested through the, the, through the diversity of her members. It says, from the beginning, this one church has been marked by a great diversity, which comes from both the variety of God's gifts and the diversity of those who receive them. Within the unity of the people of God, a multiplicity of peoples and cultures is gathered together. Among the church's members, there are different gifts, offices, conditions, and ways of life. Holding a rightful place in the communion of the church, there are also particular churches that retain their own traditions. The great richness of such diversity is not opposed to the church's unity. Yet sin and the burden of its consequences constantly threaten the gift of unity. And so the apostle has to exhort Christians to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. And so the challenge is not to allow our differences, especially superficial ones, to become an artificial means of dividing us from one another. When dealing with other people, other Christians, we will naturally have disagreements and tensions, especially when we hold differing political, social, ecclesial, or theological views. Yet one thing that all genuine people of goodwill share in common is a love for humanity and a desire to seek the good of all people. And something that all genuine Christians share amongst each other is a deep love for Jesus Christ and for the gospel. And regardless of our political or ideological identity, we should all continually strive to put on the mind of Christ and maintain the unity of the church by preserving the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Through baptism and faith, we Christians are being built together into a holy temple of the church. This means that we are not only members of Christ, 
who is the foundation and capstone of the church, but we are also members of one another. We should not identify those with whom we disagree as our enemies, but as those who are loved by Christ, just as all of us are loved by him. Our Lord calls all, us all together and unites us into one communion of love with the Trinity. He encourages us to truly listen, to listen to one another, not to talk past each other, to learn from each other, and to try to genuinely understand each other, and to work together despite our differences so that the church might become a more powerful sign of fraternal charity and mutual cooperation in the world, thus facilitating the work of evangelization and the salvation of souls, which is the overall mission of the church. <laughs>